DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome in Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Riley, good morning. What's up, you sorry dudes? Well, putting a wrap on the BYU season, that was an exclamation point. They just blew UCF off the field. That hadn't happened in the last four years. Uh, they hadn't lost a game like that since you got to go back to the 2016 season. They, they got blown out a few times there, but they just destroyed that team. Yeah, I thought I thought it was very fun to watch. You know, I always tease Alema Harrington because, you know, back in the day they didn't win that many bowl games. I'm like, did you guys even care about bowl games? Did you just care about going, you know, to SeaWorld, you know, when you're at the holiday play? You know, I tease him all the time, and, he, you know, he gets really mad. He's like, no, no, but – the, the truth is, the thing that was fun for me to watch with this bowl game is that these guys, you know, they took every single week serious. They had they had an unbelievable ability to just, like, refocus every week. They never really knew who they were going to play. I mean, I think, if we were, I think if we were to rewind the tape, I mean, didn't they only have two games left on their schedule that they originally had? And then they just filled everything in. They were motivated to play. Now I do think this. I think I think Kalani did a great job of motivating these guys. But I think when you get a few good wins, and you know after that Boise State win, I knew that they were going to roll for a while because not only was it a good team, but they were feeling confident. And so, look, this team has been fun to watch all year. For me personally, there's a lot of guys on that team that I know personally um, from from different things. So it was it was fun to root for those guys. I mean. When, when, when you know guys on the team, when you feel like you know them, when they're from your neighborhood, when they're from your state, it, it's fun to pull for a team like that. You talk about their confidence, and it was obvious. It was plain to see. How do you develop and get to the point to have that confidence? Well, I think, I, I think there's a uh, – when, when you talk about confidence, I mean, the, the three enemies of confidence are – are perfectionism, right, um, comparison, and unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. But when you talk about the three things that build confidence, you're talking about being authentic or being being autonomous, meaning it's your choice to be there, like you really want to be there. Number two is competence, meaning you have some history of doing really, really well. And then the, the, the third one is what we call social support or, or a great team around you. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, like your teammates are great, but do you have people that aren't afraid to hold a mirror up to you and tell you like, hey, here's where your warts are, here's where you're doing well, here's where you're not doing well. And that builds confidence. And these guys, I think they put, when I talk about that competence piece, I mean, clearly they put, they put a lot of work into the weight room. They put a lot of work. I mean, when you watch the intricacies of the passes with Zach Wilson and Dax Milne and Gunnar Romney and some of these guys, I mean, they, they threw a lot over the summer. There's, there's just no question that they did a lot together to, to build some of that chemistry. And so when you do that, whether it's in the weight room, whether it's working on your skills, whatever it is, when it gets to a tough point in the game, your mindset is like, I don't even care what's going on because I know for a fact those guys across from the ball for me, they did not work as hard as I did. And it can really, it can really build and establish a lot of confidence um, in yourself in, in tough situations. And I, 
I think this is a, a team that was an older, more mature team, and I don't mean that in the way that like the national media means. I, I just mean that they had older leadership guys. I mean, Isaiah Kafusi, I don't know if you guys have met him, but he's, he's one of the most mature individuals I've, I've ever met, one of the most well-polished people that I've ever met. He's one of their captains, and I, I think that happens. You know, I, I, I don't think that happens by accident, and I don't think that this team was able to refocus every week um, unless they had great leadership like Isaiah Kafusi and some of these guys that are on this team. How does a quarterback take the leap? And lots of quarterbacks want to take it where you're the starter and you're basically throwing, you know, two touchdowns for every uh, pick you throw, which is what Zach Wilson did, you know, his first two years. How do you make the leap so that you're throwing 33 touchdown passes and three picks and running for 10 more scores, which is what Zach Wilson did this year? Because some quarterbacks make that leap, but most don't. Well, first of all, I mean, I I always thought Zach had – um, this ability, right? I think when, when you're worried about his touchdown to interception ratio, um, th- there's a lot of things that go into that. I, I think one of the things that Zach will be able to tell you in the future when he gains a little bit more perspective, right now you feel like, man, I really put the work in and I really, I really did some good things, but he's going to realize that there was a lot of good players around him and a lot of good people around him that led to this kind of a season. I mean, his offensive line was much improved. The running game with Algier and Lopini Katoa was much better. The receivers, I mean, I don't think the receiving crew at BYU gets enough credit for how well they played this year. And I, listen, I've known Dax Milne since he was like in seventh grade. He looked like he was a fourth grader at our camp trying to compete against guys. And he was just so tiny and so focused on playing. But he was making those catches that you're seeing on TV and making those unbelievable catches in traffic at the age of like 13 at a football camp. And I think, I, mean, I think all of us, when we were watching him, I don't know if we knew that he was going to be what he is now, but I mean, we're like, dude, this kid has some hit factor. I mean, he's a, he was tiny. He, he, he just went out there and competed all the time. Now, did I think he was going to go to BYU and be a Bolitnikoff, like, you know, finalist and, and probably an NFL draftee. I don't know. I don't even know that BYU knew that. They offered him a walk-on, not a scholarship, right? So these guys, I mean, this this has been really fun to watch, and it's it's a fun season. I think it's I think Kalani is a good guy. I think he's a fantastic person. I mean, I think they deserve some of this, you know, and, and, and I think this is something that they can build on. I think we have to be careful on how much momentum this gives you going into the future? Because I've seen a lot of really good teams. I mean, you can you can you can go to my alma mater, you know, where they're eleven and two two years ago, and and it doesn't feel like we're even close to there. Now, I'm not trying to compare BYU and Utah State, but you have to be careful about what a really good season means to your team, um, like BYU. What did you think of that Blake Anderson hire then for the Aggies? You know what? I I I, I like it. I I think I like it more than. <laughs> excuse me. Now that I've seen some of his quotes and some of the things that are going on, I look. You and I think you know DJ and I. We've talked about this offline, but it's it's it, it feels like a big fall for Utah State right now. But 
the, the comfort and the protection of being in a conference right now and, and having the ability to recruit good players and pay good coaches and be in a conference where, you know, I mean, you see teams slide. You see just a few years ago Fresno State was really down. Now they're back up. I mean, with the exception of Boise State, almost every team in the Mountain West will have like a really high year and then they'll slide back and then a really high year. I mean, you look at San Jose State and they were, you know, there were, there was, I think about five, six years ago, they were good and then they slid really hard and now they're back up to the top. So it's, it's just interesting when you're a, when you're a G5 school, there's going to be, I think, higher ebbs and flows as far as like, what's good, what's not good, and all those sorts of things. So the last the last eight Mountain West Conference champs, two for San Diego State, two for Fresno State, one now for San Jose State, three for Boise State, but they've had an awesome run. Now they have hired, what, five good coaches in a row without a miss? But the last, what, 15 years has been two guys. Maybe Chris Peterson right. wants back in. I would call him first, second, and third. But assuming he doesn't want back sure. in, Harson goes to Auburn. Do you think Boise State finally misses on a coaching hire? How far could they fall? And how much does that open it up for everybody else in that division? At least for the moment. I mean, the door may slam because they may make a great coaching hire. Well, I mean, I mean, as a San Diego State fan, aren't you just cheering for them to mess one up? I mean, come on. They gotta mess one of these up, don't they? <laughs> hey, you, I mean, would, come on. you would think it's been a pretty good twenty year run going on twenty five. Dude, I was I was looking through their possible candidates. You got Kate you, you got you got Kellen Moore, right? You got Dan Hawkins back in the picture, you got Dirk Cutter back in the picture, you got obviously Chris Peterson back in the picture. Now, I don't know that it always works when you hire back, you know, somebody that was a head coach there, but man, it would be hard for me to imagine that Kellen Moore wouldn't be successful at Boise State. Um, and, and it's just, you know, some of, some of these things are just really interesting. But, man, I'm cheering for Boise State to freaking fall down on, on a higher right now. But it'll, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. What do you think of the Utes now just tapping into the transfer portal to get all these quarterbacks? Well, clearly, there's a message being sent that they don't like the depth in the room. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess Bentley's already in the portal, ready ready to go to his you know third school in two years. But um, I think it's, I think the whole transfer portal thing has already been interesting. But now, with the advent of the fact that it's a free transfer for a year, I mean, I, I don't think coaches and players and everybody realize the ramifications of all this free flow transfer now. This is going to be – this is really going to be messy for a while, and I don't see it helping anyone except for the P5 schools. I mean, you look at Utah right now. They pick up two quarterbacks. They can, they'll probably pick up a couple of guys that are linebackers or DBs that they like from the transfer portal. You know, they can come in for a year, and they can really make it so you don't drop off as far. But when you look at – the, the damage that it can do, I, I think this hurts G5 schools. Like, so whether Utah State's good or whether they're bad, right? So let's let's just take let's just take Utah State from 11 and two two years ago, and you're talking about 
really good football players. You're talking about their linebacker, their middle linebacker. You're talking about the quarterback. You're talking about lots of guys that are all conference. Do some of these P5 schools come and, and start snipping off some of these guys that were really, really good players in the G5 because there's one free transfer? I mean, that would be, that would be really, really hard for G5s to compete with. You know, it's almost like you could be good but not too good. And does it start changing the way that you promote your players? And does it start changing the way that you do things? And then you want to talk about difficulties just here in the state. So now you recruit at, let's just say, at Utah State or at Weber State, you recruit a kid. He's really tracks from from either BYU or Utah. The kid goes on an LDS mission. He's hanging out with a mission president. He's hanging out with all of his buddies <laughs> on his mission that all went to BYU. Just They're like, say it. We know who you're you talking should, about. You transfer, dude. <laughs> We know who you're talking about. Yeah, I just know. Say it's, it. called the, it's called the Riley. It's called the Riley Nelson rule. There right? it is. Like I'm just saying, but but now there's no penalty to a guy. You know what I mean? Like, how many times do you have to recruit a player to be at your school? Constantly. You know, and I, I think I, I think it's I think that's going to be a harder thing on coaches than they anticipated with this open transfer rule. Like, how do you? How do you enforce discipline if a guy's just going to go, well, screw you, I'm out of here. I could have gone to four different schools besides here. You know, how do you how do you keep your team disciplined? How do you keep them focused? You keep them bonded. Bond- I think this transfer. You keep Sorry. Them, you keep I, them bonded I, to each other. Don't you keep them bonded to each other? That's It's a loyalty to each other. And the guy who's just in it for himself maybe isn't a guy you wanted in the first place. Yeah, I, I think that's easy to say. I think that's easier to I think that's easier to say than actually to implement. You know what I mean? Like, uh, there's there's a lot of mini fractures in a lot of teams. Now, winning winning hides a lot of those warts, but there's a lot of mini fractures, even in a team that's eight and four. You know, so I just think this is going to be harder than they think. I, I think they I think they're all looking at it as an opportunity to like get better every year. But I think I think there's going to be some things that are difficult about all this. So you're responsible for this dark kid for Corner Canyon not going to BYU or Utah because he thanked you by name at his press conference <laughs> that was broadcast on ESPN, and you purposely steered him away, and I blame you that he didn't go to ASU. So right now everybody hates you. I did not I did not do any steering with Jackson Dart. <laughs> I can't believe that he thanked me. I cannot believe that he thanked me. That was like over the top humble and kind of him. Obviously I've worked with him a lot, um, both in the mental game and as quarterback coach. But I mean, he's, he's earned every single thing that he's, that he's earned. Uh, I mean, he's earned every single accolade that he's received and he's just a really good player. I mean, if I, if there's one compliment that I can give him is the, the kid's not afraid to compete. And then talent wise, and I, I think I've said this before on your show, but Jackson Dart has the quickest release I've ever seen in the state of Utah. From the time his back foot hits the ground to the time the ball comes out of his hand is so fast. I mean, look, you, you can't compare him to Dan Marino yet, but it's it's up there on, on getting that ball out of his hand. And it's it's pretty impressive what he can do. He's worked hard. He deserves good things. 
I think he was very interested in a lot of local programs, at least from what I could could um, deduce from our conversations. But, you know, UCLA, USC, Arizona State, they did a really, really good job of recruiting him. Yeah, you broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with everything going on with quarterbacks and with all the transferring and all that, I'm curious what you think of the local quarterback scene. Um, you know, Frank Dolce and I have gone around and around until I'm not even sure which was our original position and what we've talked ourselves into. But you need a good quarterback. It'd be great if you had the best quarterback in the country. But if your defense is really good, like at Utah, and your running game's really good, you need a guy who's accurate and doesn't turn the ball over and who can benefit from some good play-action situations. Could you bring in one year, you bring in your four-star guy and whatever you tell him, we are going to recruit another guy, but he's a local guy and he's a project. He's not, if you're worried about him, you're not the right guy for us. And then you bring in a two- or three-star guy here and you coach him up over time and you have him in the system. Could that benefit a school? Are there guys like that playing high school football who you could project you know, three years down the line, would there be someone, not everyone, it wouldn't be for everyone. Some, you know, some guys want to play right away, but isn't there somebody out there who's got that level of talent who wants to go to an in-state school and live the dream because he was eight years old yeah. wearing a jersey and fell in love with the so, school? So I listened to this interview randomly when you guys were talking to Frank about this, and I was like kind of yelling at the radio and talking about it. I think, I think these are great ideas. I think these are great thoughts about what's going on. I think Utah has tried to do this, and I think they've tried to do it with a walk-on. I think they've tried to do it with a scholarship. I think they've tried to do this, but it's, it's really hard, especially at the quarterback position, to find a guy that's just loyal to you no matter what about going to the University of Utah. Now, I can give you a perfect example of somebody that that would be like, the quarterback that's competing for a starting job up at Weber State right now, Bronson Barron from American Fork High School, huge arm. Yeah, he, he has the frame. He's big enough to play Division One. Like he's the type of guy that you that you could try and do that with. And I'm and I don't know for sure. I don't I don't know the details of uh, Bronson's recruiting, but they're also not stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do. They they also. They know what's going on. Like when they when they hear that going on and the, and they're talking and they're doing those kind of things. I mean, Bronson's smart enough to know, like, okay, you're just bringing in an arm, and and if I develop, great. But there's not really a shot for me to play. And so he goes to a place like Weber State where he can play. And you know, I don't know if he plays this year or not. But the way things we the way things are going at Weber State right now, they have a chance to play for a national championship. He might get everything he wanted out of that anyway and start earlier and play earlier. Well, Did I lose you? No, we'll leave it right there. We're, <laughs> po- we're pondering, which isn't great radio, but we're pondering. Um, are there I any... Think, I just think, I think Utah has tried to do that in their own way. I don't right. think that this is a novel idea, and I, and I just don't think that it works. There's... There's more ego even in a local Utah quarterback than you know than you would think. There's well, more ego there. Yeah, I would say that this just gets brought back to the forefront because of what we saw Drew Lisk do. And in a quote-unquote normal season, 
you know, game five, he could have been the guy for, you know, half of his senior season, right? Um, right? So I get your point. It's a risk for the kid not playing. But with all the turmoil to be the guy who's been there for two years, I mean, Cameron Rising has been here, let's see, sad as a red shirt. He's injured his second year. But you got to handicap him as the guy who's, you know, probably going to be the starter next fall. Maybe not. Maybe the kid transferring in from Baylor will win the job. But you look at some of his stats, and 62% can drive Kyle nuts, and the 2-1 to touchdown interception can drive Kyle nuts. I wouldn't be surprised if Cam Rising's the, the starter again. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. I mean – it's always nice to have depth. If these guys want to come, you're not going to turn them down. Competition is a great thing for quarterbacks, especially when you have a defensive coach that thinks all us quarterbacks are prima donnas anyway. I mean, make them work for it. Make them, you know, make them, make them earn their spot. Don't give them anything. Make them earn their spot just like everybody else on the team. And I, I think it fits exactly what the University of Utah does. I mean, they win nine, ten games without a premier quarterback anyway. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't think there's any way to spin it. The University of Utah is trying to fix their quarterback position, and I think they've done everything that they can. Eventually they'll break through and they'll get a big-time quarterback and they'll win the conference, and I think that'll change the quarterback position and the quarterback position trajectory for Utah. But until then, they're just going to win with great defense and with the running game and with good special teams. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is not one thing that's wrong with that. Okay, I look forward to the year 2050. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, if we're both here then, let's go, let's, let's, let's go to the Utah game together and celebrate that quarterback. Well, Pete, okay, you, you wheel me in. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'm not afraid. I know you'll still be angry, an angry old codger. I mean, that started at like 40 for you. So when I wheel you in, just make sure you're dropping lots of curse words on everybody when we're walking in because that'll be fun for me. Hell yes. Hell yes. <laughs> I can't, dude, that's actually kind of a fun visual to me. Wheeling you into a football stadium at like 85, 86 years old. Uh, oh man, that would that would seriously like that makes me happy. That makes me happy. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Okay. okay, I don't want to get into it now because it's not my story. But the next time Craig Bowlerjack is on, he just told me a story. I've known Bowler forever, and I don't know why he sat on this story, but he just told me this story off the air, and I'm like, Bowler, when you're on, we you are telling this story. It's not about wheeling a guy in the game. It's about wheeling somebody out. And when you hear this, Riley, and you know who you, I know you know who it is. And when you hear this story, it's so outrageous. You're going to laugh just like that. It's a hilarious story. Good. So talk to Bowler about it so we can talk about it the next time. Okay, we'll do it. We'll get Bowler on next week. Right. Uh, it's it's kind of weird because we're he's usually on on Thursdays, and we're off on Thursdays with Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. But we're going to get him in a non-traditional spot, talk jazz with him, and get this, uh, get this football story out of him because it's a classic. All right, thanks, thanks, Riley. You guys are the best. Take care. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.